0: Welcome back to the 1-2 Kentucky Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Coach John Spurlock. Thank you so much for tuning in today. On today's show, I have Steven Strobus. Last time he was on, we talked through the strength and conditioning program for our tennis teams. But today, we're talking all about UK track and field. Strobus breaks down his thoughts for each one of the event groups, and he talks through the dynamics of working with several sport coaches for essentially one team. Like always, I hope you enjoy our conversation all right so let's jump right into it so why don't you break down the different groups that you work with on our track and field team
1: yeah so the way that we just have it organized out because we have 110 athletes is we kind of organize lifts out by coaches um that's coach green who works with our women's long sprints and hurdles um there's two or three men's hurdlers in there but he works with the long sprints hurdlers for the women's side coach anderson who we just hired this last summer who was previously at tcu is our men's sprint coach so anybody you know, 400 meter, 200 meter, 100, that the male is under him. Coach Marvin Gibson, our other new coach we just hired, which is from Clemson. He just does all of our women's short sprints. Uh, coach Grimes, who does triple jump, long jump, high jump, pole vault, multis. Coach McBride for all the throwers. And then Haken, who does our cross country distance. So those are how it's kind of organized out. And each of those coaches has a program. Um, we don't necessarily dilute, except for Grimes with the different type, types of jumpers. Um, but from there is where we organize out who's doing what, when, um, and, and what the goal is for their programs. Gotcha. So what's the, so what's the cutoff between short sprint and long sprint? Uh, for I mean, for me in terms of, especially when I'm programming, anything above 200 is going to be a long sprint. Yeah. So that's 400, 800. And then obviously you have your milers, maybe your 1500 people. Um, but yeah, 200, 160. And then technically the. 110 and 100 hurdles are sprinters
0: so 200 would be in the long sprint category so Uh, that that. would be the cutoff yeah okay so any so once you get into the 400 distance this distance then you become a long sprinter
1: yeah and that's kind of how they're organized with the coaches and my programming as well so So
0: that's a lot of different groups so and we'll get into it with the different coaches that you got to communicate with but What does the lifting schedule look like for you on a, let's even tackle it from a weekly basis? Like, when, how often is each group lifting? Is it similar? Is it completely different? What does that look like?
1: Yeah. So, I think the biggest thing that changes is our eight hour to 20 hour transition. Um, All of our sprinting, like running related events outside of our distance athletes, go from two lifts a week to three lifts a week. Um, What those times are at or what days those are on does switch. So, right now we're pretty, prominent two days a week, Tuesday, Thursday mornings, Um, but we will switch to Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings at the 20-hour transition, which is actually next week. Um, We do have one group, which is the men's sprinters. Coach DA, Daryl Anderson, is very big on lifting after practice. So same idea. They lift twice a week. They're going to swap to a a three-day-a-week split um, starting in 20-hour. The rest of the groups, which is the throwers and the jumpers to that capacity are almost always two days a week. Sometimes we'll throw a third day in there for either group. And that's going to be like a circuit style workout sometimes based on recovery. If we have the time, if they have a a meet or whatever, and then Higgins group for distance cross country is always twice a week, unless there's a meet and they have to travel, but we stick with twice a week for them.
0: Makes sense. So kind of going off that you have Haken who's who's on the distant side. And then obviously you have all the sprint coaches as well. And then even on another extreme side, you have McBride with the throwers. That's a completely different animal. What's the dynamic like with working with that many sports coaches with essentially one team.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I like to think of it as each of those groups is very much independent of another, even though they all, they all are track and field. Um, it's just it helps me stay organized that I'm not having to like sell different things to different coaches. but for me, it all kind of runs through Coach Green. He's obviously is our head track and field coach. and so his say is kind of final. you know if he wants to make an adjustment or if he thinks something, I'm very much going to listen to it the coaches as well. Um, that doesn't that's not something we run into. but from that standpoint, you know, communicating with them individually is I wouldn't say it's necessarily a challenge because we we communicate very well and very frequently. Um, I think the biggest thing that is a lifesaver and it's just something that helps a ton is most, if not always, especially if, unless it's a voluntary lift, the coaches are at the lifts. They come and watch, they just bring energy. They like to be there. Um, and from a communication standpoint, that lets them be there to ask questions, see what the lifts are. Um, you know, I can talk to them if they have adjustments or anything. Like they're just always coming through the weight room, which essentially is my office. So it's very easy to frequently communicate with them um, daily or weekly or whatever it is.
0: Makes sense. So let's, let's break down one group and let's talk about it's that group's emphasis for this off season. And you're, I mean, you said you're about to get into 20 hours, but we're coming to the, we're about a little over halfway through October now. Um, So they've been with you for a while, but let's start with coach green's group. What is the emphasis for his group in the weight room? and then we'll kind of dive into what are your big rocks that you're doing with them.
1: Yeah, so with with Green's group in particular, um, he's very big on just a volume-based approach. Um, Tracking field has a very long off-season, and so from that standpoint, we obviously, as as most off-season programs go, we start higher volume and work into higher intensity, but we try and hold out that volume through whatever methods we can, whether that's tempo training, doing cluster sets, uh, things like that, because we're of the firm belief that volume training works a little bit more in that postural component. Also in terms of them being able to hold positions and when it comes to positions, whether it's hurtling or sprinting, um, it's more so the case of, it's not always who's the fastest on the track. It's just who doesn't break down first, so to speak. And so just through our work and his experience in track and field with, you know, 30 plus years at this point, um, it, it seems to be a good case that athletes that get that volume base under them in the off season have a lot easier time holding positions, being in better postures, you know, a great example is Abby, Abby Steiner, um, she does really well with volume based training because she is extremely, extremely strong. She's very, very fast as we know. Um, but she usually will take off and you see her in races completely just like running down the competition because she does not break form. She doesn't break down in the last 40 meters of the 200, let's say, um, and that's a huge component for that. So I think. In the off season, that's where we're going big main movements for them. We do Olympic lift pr- a lot with tracking and field in general, but the, the big lifts, whether it's front squat, back squat, hex bar deadlift, um, our single leg movements that we implement, um, we're doing a lot of volume with that. And again, it's, it's for an aerobic effect because track and field is a very conditioning based sport, but it, it's to work on, you know, hypertrophy, but, but work on making them be able to hold positions or no positions and be where they're at. So that's, that's. Green's huge thing. That's my big thing with them. And it's been really successful. So
0: starting with the let's go back to the Olympic
1: lifts. So clean snatches, jerks, all of the above. So uh, we do, we're, we're, we stick with the cleans and the snatches. Um, our track and field teams, we do a lot of like overhead pressing. So I don't want to like overload the overhead component with doing a, like a jerk or anything like that. It's also just, they're not an overhead sport. With that standpoint um we go one and one so on our squat days we'll do our snatches on our hex bar days we'll do our hang clean or clean or whatever derivative it is and that pretty much stays throughout the entirety of the year i don't i tell this to every recruit every coach every athlete that comes through we don't really change a lot of what we do just how we do it so an example is we start the year doing hang cleans then we go to like a tempo based kind of floating clean then we go to cleans off the ground once we get into the end season, we go back to hang cleans. Then we do hang cleans or do box cleans. So it's just still the same movement, different derivatives though. And in my opinion, it builds quality, but it also just keeps things very simple for the athletes and for me programming wise. So whether it's cleans or snatches, we're following that kind of standpoint. Um, and they're a huge part of our program in terms of UK Olympic strength, but also just track and field. The the cleans and the snatches are very, very normal, I guess is, a, is a yep. good way to put it. So for those athletes
0: if those are the big rocks what are some of the little rocks for you like are you diving into ham hamstr- um, yeah hamstring health and all that what other things yeah, are you and working on
1: what's really really good is is the our training staff that we have is a very like rehab focused kind of weight room minded group and so taylor who is our our athletic trainer senior athletic trainer for for track is constantly bringing them into the weight room having them do stuff with weights Um, whether it be like our sore next roller, she's a huge, (laughs) I'm pretty sure every sprinter here at some point or another does like hamstring rollouts with her. Um, and those are kind of just like the normal trouble areas, the places on the body that get a lot of strain, whether it be the bottom of the foot, the ankle, um, the front of the leg, the hamstring popliteus, or even the hip flexors, like those are huge parts of any sport that sprints a lot. Um, but with track being so linear and being such a forward to back kind of sagittal plane sport, we really work on just making sure that they get extra movement in throughout the hips. We're constantly doing things like 90 90s for the hips, doing you know hurdle rotations, things where we can really like open up joint spaces and not just have it be so forward to back. Um, so really just exposing them to things like that. It's not necessarily a loaded exposure and so to speak, but where we can get them to move a little bit more is our, is a huge like small rock for us that we're constantly doing. And then more than anything, just putting them in positions where they have to hold force. So things like isometrics, wall sits, uh, hamstring holds, right. Where you're doing either a rollout or a banded hamstring curl, and you're just holding it and getting a ton of force to do that hamstring. Cause sprinting is, we, we all agree sprinting is very, very intense. So that hamstring, that knee, that hip, they have to be able to withstand a lot of force. And we get that through squatting and Olympic lifting, but we can really isolate it through our accessory movements as well.
0: So if that's a general breakdown of Coach Green's groups, the pretty much the women's long sprinters with the male sprinters, with the women's short sprinters, is it similar? Are there any major differences between those two groups with what you're doing them with them in the weight room?
1: I would say the only big difference is once we get to the end season is just kind of the accessories that we, we, we kind of implement. And from that standpoint, it's really just, I'm very big on putting some form of mobility kind of corrective exercise style in my accessories when we're in season so that we can get really good work in. It might save them a trip to the training room, which saves my athletic trainers time. Um, so depending on if they're a hurdler or a sprinter, they might get something different there, but they're still very much following the same template of squatting earlier in the week, doing hex bar deadlift to get that taper effect, really, really getting high force production um they're they're pretty similar programs across the board outside of the correctives maybe the accessories a little bit
0: now going into our jumps groups coach grimes groups they they spend a lot of time outside the weight room why don't you kind of talk through their program and what they do with their chop wood carry water days yes
1: um well what's great is that coach grimes is a very biomechanics and focus coach. He knows the body extremely well. He knows the events that he works and how they affect the body and positions that we need to be in. And so from that standpoint, we work really, really well together on making sure that our big rocks in the weight room, whether it be single leg work, like step-ups, doing things like quarter squats for the force absorption component, um, we're very much on a good page of, of what needs to be done and when it needs to be done. Um, with the chop wood carry water part though, uh, we really, really cover. And those are our circuits that we do for everyone listening. Those are kind of Monday, Friday mornings, you know, 630 a.m. We're out on the turf. We're carrying things. We're doing sledgehammers. We're throwing med balls or sandbells, We're flipping tires. And that's really to get an aerobic effect, you know, very early off-season conditioning. But it's also to kind of just implement postural training. You know, when you're carrying something that's really heavy, you've got to set the shoulders back. You've got to have the hips underneath and set. And, it's not for a standpoint of like, if they're doing it wrong, they're going to feel it, but we can really coach those positions up just by naturally seeing the movement. So if they want the movement to be efficient, feel good, and feel strong, they're going to have to be in good positions, mostly with just the hips and the spine and where we're at. From that standpoint, we transition that into the weight room, and that's a huge focus throughout the entirety of the year is a, I guess, the, the way we explain it to the athletes is like the bucket analogy or bowl analogy with the pelvis, where if you're tipped forward or tipped back, we want to be tucked underneath rib cage closed. And that sets not only our body in a balanced state, but from a force production force absorption state, that's our most optimal position. The analogy Grimes uses is rebar, like with the concrete building. And that's our, that's our bone structure. And so whether you are doing a high jump a long jump if you're pole vaulting or if you're one of our multis athletes like that's a very fundamental position to exert force to do your your event and so what we're doing in the weight room it it mimics that it puts them in positions where we're doing that you know one of my favorite movements to do with them is a front rack step up and that's just because it sets the hips forward it keeps them in a good chest up posture but then they're getting a single leg exercise out of it and we can load it go really heavy or we can keep it really light the movement is still going to look very much the same because they're forced into that postural position. So they, uh, they transition, they, they don't really start the year lifting. And then as we get into 20 hour, in fact, we started it this week, we start really kind of implementing the Olympic lifts, the strength training, but with them, because they don't necessarily enter the weight room as early. The big thing is not playing catch up, but making sure that they're getting in what they need to do that way. Once we hit the season, they're good to go and they are just ready to rip. So,
0: let's talk about the two extremes. So we got cross country on one side, throwers on the other side. And the one thing that you said is that they both are in the weight room twice a week. So I think everybody's mind would be throwers minimum, like three, probably four kind Mm -hmm. of talk through what the throwers do in the weight room um, and why it's only two times a week. And I'm going to guess those sessions are more than just 45 minutes to an hour. That probably takes them a couple hours to get through what they need to get through.
1: Yeah. And, and with the throwers more than anything, like, we, we only go twice a week because we take a very like recovery-based approach to it. We know that our lifts are going to be very intense. They're going to be high strain on the body. And so, you know, we're lifting Monday, Friday or Monday, Thursday in season, they lift Sunday, Thursday, you know, we get an extra day out of that for the recovery base. Um, their lifts are very, very tough, so to speak. Um, they're getting their Olympic lift in They're You know, if it's off season, they're getting a lot of total sets in, like it's a very dense workout in terms of just the amount of work they're doing on their strength movement for the day, whether that be deadlift, bench press, they're squatting. Um, and then we have all the accessory stuff that we need to do to incorporate. I think the biggest thing with the throwers is most throwers when they come, especially, you know, if they're an SEC caliber thrower, they have a lot of weight room experience coming to college. And for that group, more than anything, we take a variety based approach. So, you know, we offset it. So every two weeks, we repeat, if that makes sense. So week one, let's say it's day one, week one, we're going to do, uh, you know, if it's early off season, back squat, day one, week two front squat, week three, day one back to back squat. And we just kind of keep that variety so that we're constantly exposing them to a strength stimulus that maybe they're not just settling for, if that makes sense. Um, makes complete sense. What else you got for the throwers, the throwers, man, I think one thing that we did this year that's challenged them a lot is we started doing like, like cardio. And that's mostly because it's something. What? That we felt yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> it's they, they love it and they hate it at the same time. Obviously, you know, they're throwers, they don't do a lot of cardio, but you know, as we know an aerobic base is good for recovery in between attempts, especially for single effort stuff. So we just wanted to add that a little bit of that in. It also helps us get a ton of our accessory work in for the week um, on a less intense basis, I would say. Uh, You know, the difference being we could do lunges with 185 in our back, or we could do 30 seconds on 30 seconds off of lunges, you're probably going to get more reps. So it's just managing the stimulus and what we're doing, the the circuits have been awesome because it's also helped us do things like sled work, where we're getting an aerobic effect but a little bit of an injury prevention getting their knees hips and quads really really dialed in without just loading them. Um, So it's been a good balance, I would say this 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 offseason for sure the circuits have been fun and they really enjoy it. We just crank the music and shively and just go to town. I like it. So let's talk about cross country. Now, what are some of the big rocks for that group? Strength. And, and that's kind of a catch all, I guess, so to speak, that's what we do. But with that group more than often, um, they, you know, some of them run upwards of 90 miles a week and that that's with a day off still. And from that standpoint, you know, the wear and tear on their body, the the amount of low intensity, but high volume impact that they're getting, you know, I try and fill their other bucket in terms of a higher intensity, lower volume strength output. So like things like the hex bar deadlift have been a staple of their program since I moved into taking over cross country and track and field. Um, And that's really just so that, again, from an injury prevention standpoint, their bodies are a little bit more resilient. They've got that strength under them, but then, you know, Matt Clark, who is the strength coach for Arkansas tracking field really, really good distance program really good track program. Um, He pushed he put an article out that was you know, obviously you you need a stronger athlete right that's going to be a little bit more resilient but. And this is a direct quote that he said, he says, as the athlete is exposed to higher forces required in strength training the body creates neurological pathways to previously untap high threshold motor units, meaning you know, in, in short that they're using more muscles to like, let's say run their race, which means they're a more efficient athlete. They're not burning out those just slow twitch muscle fibers. So from that standpoint, we train it through, through strength, whether it's, you know, hitting heavy triples on hex bar, hit fast singles. If it's race week, um, that's been a group that's really bought into, to going heavy and not just doing, you know, lunges sets of 10 on the turf after the workouts or anything like that. So you said hex bar
0: deadlifts do you do like bench press with them in your the upper body uh, a lot of pulling
1: strength? we yeah. do a lot of pulling and that's mostly because with with it being a running base sport they're sometimes a little bit hunched over in their posture so we do a lot of work through pull-ups chin-ups rotator cuff work uh rows and things like that to to work on that post shoulder um we don't do a lot of pressing with them i don't see a huge gain to it you know i think of a lot of our track and field athletes as formula one cars so where we can not necessarily lose mass, but where we can save a little bit and not add to it. And we're just building the engine, I think is a huge component. So focusing on dialing in the, the pulling muscles and not necessarily a lot of the pushing. So they'll do pushups and, you know, they'll have some core components that require them to be in an extended position, but not a lot of pressing with them across the board and track and field.
0: Yeah. You, um, uh, squats, front squat, back squat. Do you do a lot of that with them, or is it more just pulling from the ground with the hex bars? We will
1: do a single leg squat. Okay. Um, It's, it's mostly because we only have the two days a week and, and the team as a whole, isn't necessarily super bought into loading a squat, super heavy or or doing a lot of volume, you know, they don't want to be sore, this, that, and the other. So we kind of came to the conclusion that a good single leg squat and then a good double leg pull is a good balance to kind of get us to where we need to be from a strength standpoint. So, and with it being running and the strain on the hamstrings and. You know, what, what they need out of their sport, having the. Whole method be the heavier more intense is kind of my goal so
0: so you talked about the volume so some of the runners are getting up to like 90 miles per week talk through and it doesn't need to be exact but like cycle one the cycle two the cycle three what does the volume look like Let, And let's just do a hex bar deadlift do you start with like eights and sixes and then go to fours and fives and then third cycle it's more you know triples are under or do you just stick around that five or less rep range because you don't want to add a ton of volume onto them because they're already running so much
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i i we start the year out at fives um with the hex bar and from there we taper down very simple you know five four three two one depending on when scc's is um we're bumping the intensity up and down so we might spend two weeks at fives two weeks at fours two weeks at threes Two weeks at twos, two weeks at ones. If it's you know straightforward, very simple. If they're an athlete that maybe doesn't need to taper, but it, it's really just getting them exposed to a good linear progression. And a lot of them haven't done that in their training. And so like the younger athletes that come through that don't have a lot of weight room experience, they get strong as heck, and it's awesome. And don't get me wrong, it's it's not anything crazy, but you have a girl like Chad Ochocinco's daughter. She's training with our cross country group right now, and she. Could probably barely pick up 165 for maybe one or two reps, and the other day she hit 210 for four. So like she's she's gotten good just having that very straightforward linear progression. And with them, even if they are racing, if they taper, then we just kind of dump the intensity and keep the rep range the same. That way, it's not too much too fast, and just make sure that they're fresh for their big races. They need to be ready for.
0: Awesome, that's a lot of great information. Let's kind of in- and. I don't think you need to go through every group, but what are some of the performance tests that you do with them, if any, like KPIs in the weight room? Because I know whether it's swim or track, really determining whether they are prepared or not to compete in their sport is different than like a volleyball or a basketball or a baseball. Because it's really like who can lace up, put their foot on the line and get from point A to point B the fastest or for the throwers who can throw that object the furthest. That's how you know who is going to be your your crew that you're going to bring with you to whatever meet or competition you're going to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and this was something I started up, uh, probably my first year with track and field, especially on the back end of it. My first off season I had with them, the, uh, I started up what I'm calling kind of like the, the all American competition. It's very similar to how we run our summer in terms of our workouts and putting a score to it and having like a sort of writing system just from a, you know, who did the best power clean based on body weight. And that person gets a hundred points who did the best vertical jump XYZ. I mean, from there and then all of our groups, sprinters, hurdlers, jumpers and throwers will to some capacity, whether it's hitting singles, actually doing a, a traditional testing phase, will do a power clean back squat, hex bar deadlift, pull up and vertical jump. Um, we, we would include broad jump in there, being that it's a very horizontal based sport, but it would just kind of don't have the time because we're usually doing our testing phase around dead week finals week. So that was something that we kind of just snipped out from a standpoint of where we can save, you know, and they like vertical jump better. So that was kind of just, you know, worth the buy in investment. Um, from there, that's, that's our testing phase. So we're obviously getting their performances, but then you can rate them out based on event group, based on the entirety of the team. And last year, what we did that was really fun was uh, I, I, basically crowned like most athletic across the entire track and field team. So who did the best across, you know, power clean, squat, hex bar to the vertical jump. And what was funny was that it was actually two athletes that were dating. So they were, they were pretty happy about that. Um, The distance team is involved in that. They don't do power clean or squat, but they do the hex bar, the vertical jump and pull-ups actually pull-ups again, huge part of their, their upper body training. So they get to kind of get ranked within their own. Which is still fun for them. They like to compete. They're all competitive people, um, and it's it is cool to see kind of where they stack up with with the rest of the track team as well. You see some you see some surprises.
0: That's awesome, Strobus. That's pretty much all I had. You get anything yeah. you want to add?
1: I mean, no. I think that was that was really good. I think with the testing phase stuff, like when I started working with coach green, I, I kind of let him know that my goal for track and field in general is higher, further, faster. And I stole that from a Marvel movie, but I'm, I'm going to run with it anyway, is that my job is to help them jump higher, throw further and run faster in that order. So when it comes to our training, whether it's very basic linear progression, if it's maybe a little bit more undulating in the end season, what can I do to help them be more prepared to jump higher, run, run faster or throw further. And kind of that is the cornerstone of my programming when I'm working with my athletes, um, making adjustments, whether it needs to be individualized, event group wise or anything like that. So, and sticking to that cornerstone has been a huge part of, you know, working well with track and field and and taking on that, you know, it's 110 athletes, but if you're just trying to help each athlete do their one thing that they need to do better, keeps it really, really straightforward and simple, so.
0: Straightforward and simple, that's what you need
1: keep it simple, just not easy.
0: (laughs) Awesome. And that is our episode for today. I hope you enjoyed it. I plan on continuing these programming talks at least a few more times. And like always, if you have any feedback or questions, don't hesitate to email us at ukstrength at uky.edu. Thanks and go cats.